We are in the middle of pray first. What does pray first mean? Pray first is something that we're, it's, a, it's like a, a movement that we are specifically focusing on prayer for the first 21 days of 2000. It's actually starting at seven, so it's not actually the first 21. It's 21 days within the first 30 days of 2018, okay? So it started on January 7, which was Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, so we're in day four. Now, why is it that we go pray first? Because many times, if we're not careful, there's situations in our lives, and I've heard this statement from people, well, all we can do now is pray. Well, hello, that should have been the first thing that we did. Not all, we've exhausted all of the other options, and now all we can do is pray. Well, honestly, we want, we want to make the, the, uh, the statement, pray first. Pray before you do all that other stuff. Don't pray after all the other stuff is exhausted. Pray first. Pray and ask for God's help before you go and try everything you know to do on your own and try to fix all the issues uh, on your own. Pray first. So that's what this is called for the next three weeks here. We're pray first. So what is prayer? Why do we pray? We, prayer is nothing more than a conversation. And how many have ever had a conversation where you can't get a word in edgewise? Anybody ever had one like that? Frustrating, isn't it? You're trying, and you go, uh, uh, and the person won't stop talking. See, so prayer is not a monologue with you talking and telling God, hi, my name is Jimmy, gimme, gimme, gimme. That's not prayer, okay? It's not a monologue, it's a dialogue, which means we pray, we worship and listen. We pray, we worship and listen. We pray, we worship and listen. And if, as you practice, sometimes when you pray and you worship and listen, you might not hear anything. Don't get discouraged. You'll eventually begin to learn how and you'll recognize when God is talking to you, whether something comes bubbling up out of your heart. You, you remember something that, from the word that God showed you some other time or just you, you have this impression in your heart. That's God talking back to you, see? So prayer is a dialogue of you and the Lord back and forth. That's prayer. So that's what I want to set that as the paradigm that that is prayer. Prayer is a dialogue, not a monologue. So as we look at this, we're going to go first of all to Luke chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, he meaning Jesus, and when he ceased, when he was done, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. And what happens next is the Lord's prayer. He, Jesus said to him, well, pray in this manner. He did never say, repeat after me this specific prayer. I want you to memorize this. I want you to recite this eight times a day, because this is a magic section of words. He never said that. He said, pray in this manner or after this pattern. So the Lord's Prayer is a pattern prayer. Now, it's okay if you repeat the Lord's Prayer word for word. That's awesome. You can do that, okay? But that's not the only prayer that we pray, right? It's a pattern of prayer. 
It's another, uh, uh, an idea that I want you to remember. The Lord's Prayer is a pattern of prayer. So, he said, teach us to pray, not give us a prayer to memorize and recite. Okay? So, we have to, if we're going to pray, we have to have some confidence. So, what's our confidence when we pray? Well, our confidence is, number one, we believe that we're loved. We believe that we're highly favored. We all heard this Sunday if you were here. We believe that we're richly blessed and that we're children of God. Psalm chapter 34 verse 15 says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayers. Now that's a good word. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. So Jesus is watching. And he's listening. So it says, his eyes are upon the righteous, his ears are attentive. Now that word attentive means like, it goes like this. He has his hand cupped behind his ear and he's leaning in. Hmm, I wonder, I wonder, wonder what Monty has to say today. Wonder if he's praying at all today. If he's asking for anything or maybe he's worshiping today or I wonder what he's doing. Let's take a peek at Monty today, right? That's what he's saying. James 5, 16, it says, Confess your trespasses one to another. Pray for one another. So that's our admonition. Pray for one another. That you may be healed. And then the next few words, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So let's break that down. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. So what does that mean? If it has to be effect, the effective and fervent prayer of a righteous man, we're going to start with the first part, righteous. You are righteous as a gift from God. It's a positional, it's a positional statement. It's not an activity. So you are righteous because of the blood of Jesus. You're not righteous because you did all kinds of righteous things. You're righteous because Jesus died on the cross and paid for your sins. So therefore, when you pray, you can say, I am a righteous person. And that's not because of what you did. It's because of what Jesus did for you. So you've, you've met that qualification, okay? You're righteous, okay? Next, fervent. You gotta pray about things that you really care about. It's not just throwing up, yeah, well, you know, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, yeah, que sera, sera, whatever, right? Those kind of prayers don't get answered. Why? Because they aren't fervent. You don't really care. See, God wants you to care. If, if you're gonna pray about something, pray about stuff you care about, all right? So you really have to care about it in order for it to be a fervent prayer. Because fervency has to do with passion. It has to do with your commitment to it. It's not just a, yeah, whatever. We'll just, you know, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, oh well. That's like, don't even bother if you're gonna pray like that, all right? Because that's not fervent. So effective prayer. Effective prayer is one that's prayed in accordance with God's word. So find a Bible verse that's the answer to what you need. Find his word, because his word is his will. So you find a Bible verse that is in accordance with what you need from him. Well, I need help in a lawsuit. Well, he is your ever-present help in time of need. I need uh, money. Well, he supplies all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. 
I'm sick and I need to be well. By his stripes you were healed. You get what I'm saying, right? So you find a Bible verse, you stand on that, that's going to be effective then because that is his will. Because his word is his will. So once you've said, I got an effective prayer because I'm praying in accordance with God's word, I'm really committed to it, it's fervent, and I'm a righteous person because of what Jesus did, then you ask and you can have confidence because it says it avails much where it's mighty in its working, he will do what you ask. Why? Because it's his will, you're his kid, and he wants to help. That's why it's that simple. So that's where we start. We start with, hey, prayers make a difference. It matters if you pray. See, if you don't believe it matters when you pray, you'll never pray. You might pray once in a while, but you won't pray consistently if you don't believe it will matter. And I'm telling you, if you do it the way the Bible says to do it, things change when we pray. Now, God doesn't change, but things change when we pray. See, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, really when Adam rebelled against God, he gave his authority over to Satan, and Satan is the little G God of this world. He's not the big G God, he's the little G God, okay? And he had authority over this earth until Jesus came and took it from him, and Jesus gave that authority to who? Us, right? You realize that? All authority I have given unto you over all the power of the enemy so that nothing shall by any means hurt you. Okay, so that's, you have the authority, but you have to exert the authority. See, authority unexercised is, use, is useless. If you can have all the authority in the world, but if you don't exercise your authority, it's not gonna help you, right? So you gotta exercise your authority. You have to take your authority, take authority over the devil, take authority over whatever it is that's, that's harming you or hurting you or hindering you. Take authority over it, and that's what we do in prayer. We take authority over it. So prayer makes a difference. When Peter was in jail, they prayed and angels came and opened up the jail for him and the gate opened of its own accord, it says, and he walked out of jail because people were praying for Peter. Now, what if they wouldn't have been praying? Eh, who knows? But the point is, they were praying and God moved in response to the prayer. God is waiting for us to, to put a draw or put a demand on his on his will for our lives. He's got all kinds of great plans for you, but we need to put a draw on it. We've got to put a draw on his power and his authority and his will for our lives. Now, this booklet, hopefully most of you had one of these booklets handed to you when you walked in. You get, everybody got a book? If you don't have a book, somebody will give you one. We got a couple down here that don't have books. Is somebody gonna do that? There we go. There goes Sarah. Everybody give Sarah a big hand. Sarah's awesome. So this Pray First booklet is simply a tool. And I want you to really look at this booklet as a tool. There's other things you can go online. You can go on the, on the website. You can go um, on our app if you have downloaded the app. But it's important that we, I, I want to put us all on the same page here, so if you don't have a book, get a book. 
keep this book because we're going to be referring back to this book as over the next couple weeks also. We're going to, first of all, before we, before we even go any further, we're going to kind of read the Lord's Prayer together just so we establish a, a kind of a baseline here. So this is the Luke 11 prayer. If you got your book, let's read it together. Or if you, you've probably got it memorized if you've had any experience with the gospel at all. This is one of the first things we memorize as kids. We said this prayer at the, at the end of Every noon meal we said the Lord's Prayer and my dad prayed when he was around, but whenever my dad wasn't around, we always said the Lord's Prayer when I was a kid. So, I mean, I learned the Lord's Prayer probably when I was three. But um, we're just going to say it together. So, all together now, our Father who art in heaven. I said who art because that's the way I learned it. How many learned it? In the who art in heaven. Yeah, me too. I can't say it any other way because it's like burned in my brain. Here it says, our Father in heaven, and I say, who art? I, I've got a question for you. Who is art anyway? <laughs> but anyway, that's, that's, a, that's for another time. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. And it doesn't say amen, but amen. Now, that is the Lord's pattern prayer, if you will. Now, the first phrase there is our Father in heaven. So what is, what is, why is it that when Jesus taught us to pray, he immediately focused on the relational aspect of God. See, he always talked to God as his father, and as we've been adopted, it says we have a spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father, it says in Romans chapter 8. And he says to address God, to address him as Padre or Father, okay? And it, it connects with the relational aspect of God, that God cares for us, loves for us, loves us. And he wants us to see him as the loving protector to guide, to guard, and to govern over our lives. Because that's what fathers do. They guide, guard, and govern. They nourish, cherish, and admonish. That's what fathers do. And it, it focuses on our relational aspect of our father. It calls us, it, in your book here, it says God's love God loves for us to call him Father and to establish your intimate relationship with him and thank him for the relationship that you have with him. So as we start off and we just maybe take two minutes and just say, Father, I thank you that you love me, that you have a great plan for my life. Father, I thank you that you love me, that you care for me, that you protect me, that you provide for me, that you're the best father I ever had. You know, there's many, many people... They've had a father, an earthly father, that maybe wasn't so hot. Maybe their earthly father wasn't so good. Maybe you had an, a five-star father. And if you did, God bless you, and you are blessed if you had a five-star father. Okay? Um, I personally had a five-star father, and I can't even tell you how awesome it was having a great dad. Lost him 20-some years ago. Um, he died of cancer. But he, I had a five-star father. He was amazing to me. So for me to go, our Father who art in heaven, and when I say Father, when I pray to God, I think about my dad, and it's like, I'm good. 
He'll do whatever I ask. He'll, he'll, he will never let me down because my dad never let me down. He would do anything for me because my dad would have always done anything for me. Now, here's the reality. Not all of us have had a father like that. In fact, quite a few people and many of the people I talked to did not have a father that would do anything for them. They had a father who was either absent or a father who was maybe even abusive or or left completely. There's all kinds of negative things. So when some people say, when they, when they talk about the issue of our Father who in heaven, who art in heaven, or our Father in heaven, they think they have all kinds of bad memories about Father. And that's a, that's a hurdle that we have to overcome. But even a five-star father like my dad wasn't perfect. And, and he had his own set of flaws, and he... I like to remember him as perfect because he's been gone for so many years and I forgot about all his flaws, but he wasn't perfect, and I understand that, and I'm certainly not perfect to my sons, and if, and if you've ever heard Jake preach, he's outed me a few times that I'm not perfect, okay? But the point is, even if you haven't had a great uh, five-star father, you could still go to God and say, God, I need you to be my father. I need to be, you to be Abba, Father, Daddy to me. I need to see you as my daddy. I need to, to establish this relationship, and I want you, I accept you as my father. See, and, and when you start that process, you start the relational process where you can begin to trust God and to build that relationship with your heavenly father. He wants to be that heavenly father who'd never let you down, who would do anything for you, who would give you the shirt off his back, who would never hurt you, that would always protect you. That's your heavenly father. He gave his only son so that he could have a relationship with you. He's a good, good father. And he is a great, sacrificially, sacrificial loving father that loves us desperately. So we start with the relational aspect of our Father in heaven. And then we go to hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be your name. What does it mean to hallow? It means to reverence. It means to um, revere or honor his name. Psalm 138 verse 2, it says that he has exalted his word and his name above all the earth. See, his name is exalted. So hallowed be your name revered be your name. It says that the Lord's name is a place of protection. The righteous can run there and be safe. So what are, you know, some of the names of God? You know, I know them by their, their Hebrew names, but I'll, I'll just, in the book they're talked about here, and they're talked about in their definitions. Jehovah Sid Canoe is the Lord our righteousness. He makes us clean, if you're looking at your book there. Jehovah M. Kadesh means Jehovah the Sanctifier. He has called us and set us apart. Jehovah Rapha, that's a very common one. He is our healer and he heals all of our diseases. Jehovah Nissi means the banner of victory that he has defeated our enemies for us. Jehovah Rohi, the shepherd, he is the Lord our shepherd and he speaks to us. He leads us into beside still waters, leads us to green pastures. That's the Psalm 23. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. He is your peace in the middle of every storm. And Jehovah Jireh, 
He supplies every one, of his, every one of our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. See, so when we talk about the name of the Lord, we're not just talking about Jehovah. We're not just talking about Jesus. We're talking about what he embodies and what his, what his name embodies. It embodies so much more than what, what we sometimes remember, that he, his name is a strong tower. When we run into the name of the Lord, when, when you've got issues in your life, you can run into the strong tower. If you've got financial issues, you run into the strong tower of the name of Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who who is your, your supplier. He's, he sees ahead of time and he makes provision for you. When you. Before you even had a problem, he already had supplied for your need, right? When you have a, a, a sickness in your body, he is Jehovah Rapha. You can run into that name, that he is Jehovah Rapha, the one who by Jesus' stripes you were healed. The one who, who's, it says in Psalm 105, that, that he sent his word and he healed you. When you're, when you're looking at defeat or worried about losing or, or suffering loss. He is Jehovah Nissi, the one who brings out the banner of victory over top of you. You know, what that's talking about there is in, anybody ever see the movie Braveheart? Anybody ever see the movie The Patriot? Any, either one of those, Mel Gibson is in, the, the, in there. I, know I wouldn't recommend either one of them necessarily. Get the TV version, it's a lot more, more sane. The rest of them are kind of bad. But in there, they use the banner as their, their call to fight. And they charged, and in, specifically in the Patriot, he's all beat up, he's shot up, he's got stab wounds, he's got all this. And he picks up the flag, it's the banner, and he starts doing this with it. And he runs right into the teeth of the enemy, and, and they get a victory. But that's, that, that's the picture, the banner, that Jesus is the Lord our victory, Jehovah Nissi, that when we're about to suffer loss, we can run into that name. He is our victory. He is the glory and the lifter of our head. The very first verse that I, that I referred to earlier in the evening where I said, he's the glory and the lifter of your head. When you're surrounded by 10,000s and all your enemies are multiplied, he is the glory and the lifter of your head. He is the one you can run into. You don't have to sit there and take defeat. You say, Lord, you are my victory. You are my victory. You're the one who lifts my head. You break the teeth of my enemies. You, you destroy those who fight against me. And it says also that he will fight against those that fight against you. Now that's a good verse. Lord, you said that you would fight against those that fight against me. That you'd be a friend to my friends and an enemy to my enemies. Now that's a good verse too. I tell you what, you start quoting those verses, you know what happens? You start to get a little swagger because you go, man... Jesus is going to take care of you. You better not mess with me, right? Because that's the truth. You start getting confidence in the name of the Lord because he has made provision for you. He's made provision for us. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It's a kingdom priority. Your kingdom come. What is the kingdom of God? Well, Romans chapter 14 says the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Right there it is. Thank you. Who has ever run on that? Good job. What is the kingdom of God? It's not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, peace, 
and joy in the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? What is the kingdom, to the kingdom of God? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. When Jesus was on the earth, the first sermon he preached was Matthew chapter three. And he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. First thing he said. So when we're praying, when he, when he taught us to pray and he said, Say, pray like this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're just simply praying the same thing that Jesus preached when he was walking the earth. When he, the very first sermon he did was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. What is the kingdom of heaven? Righteousness through grace. He's given you righteousness. So what is, the, what is again, we're back to that. He's made you righteous. So it's righteousness. And then there's peace. Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives, do I give, I leave you my peace. Philippians 4, 6 says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplications, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God that keeps, the peace of God will keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, the shalom of God, it's one of his names, Jehovah Shalom, the peace of God. So what is what is the kingdom of God again? Romans chapter 14. It says it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So as we look at that, as we look at that, righteousness is a gift from God. It's not something you earn. We got that established. So the kingdom of God, when Jesus was on the earth and people encountered him, they encountered the kingdom of God. We are called Christians, right? Anybody, any Christians in here? Christians just simply means little Christ, okay? So by virtue of the name Christian, we are to walk as Jesus walked, right? When Jesus was on the earth and people came to him, they encountered the kingdom of heaven, right? The lame walked, the deaf heard, the mute spoke, right? The dead were raised. In fact, when they, when they asked him about it, he said, tell Herod, the dead are raised, the, the lame walk, and the deaf hear. That's what Jesus said about himself. Tell him the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I'm here. The kingdom's here. So the question is for us, as we say, your kingdom come, what we're saying is, Lord, I want to be a representation of your kingdom on the earth so that when someone comes to me, they have the same results as if they come to Jesus. Is anybody here? That's what you're saying. When you say your kingdom come, you're saying, God, I want to be an accurate representation of Jesus so that when someone comes to me and they say, can you help me? They actually get helped. That they don't just get Bernie, they get Jesus. That they don't just get you or some little mealy-mouthed prayer, they actually get the power of God. We need to be functioning and have the power of God in our lives so that when we say, Lord, let your kingdom come, when people come to us, they actually get the kingdom of God and not some religion. I'm preaching better than I'm getting amen. The kingdom of God is within us. 
It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And when they came to Jesus, they got power. They got results. Stuff happened. And when, we, they, when people come to us, they need to get results too. That's what thy kingdom come is all about. Lord, let your kingdom come in me and flow out from me and bless those that I come in contact with. God, let your kingdom be real in me. God, let your kingdom affect those around me to such a degree that it causes people to scratch their head and go, what in the world is up with that dude? Why is he so excited? Well, it's because the kingdom of God is real. And when we pray, thy kingdom come, we're not saying some castle's going to fall out of the sky. That's stupid, okay? We're saying, God, let your kingdom come in me and flow out from me and bless, help, heal, restore, save those around me. Use me like you use Jesus because you know what? The reality is we're living a lot lower than what we should be. I'm looking at me. We're living lower than we should be. We should be living where people are, miracles are happening on a regular basis. Okay, that's where God wants us living. We're miraculous people. We're, we're, I mean, when you look at the disciples, you look at the book of Acts, you look at what happened, man, Peter walks by a guy, his shadow hits him, wham, he's healed. I'm like, dude, I want that. When my shadow comes over, look out, here comes my shadow, you might get healed, there it is. See? You know, that's what I'm talking about. I'm like, man, I want that. That's what I, I, I'm trying to inspire, provoke all of you into a holy dissatisfaction with where you're at. To, to say, God, let your kingdom come in me. I need your kingdom in me in a, in a, in a way that I've never had it before. I need your kingdom. I need your power. I need to be the man of God that you've called me to be. I need to be able to affect people's lives in a dramatic way. Not just some mealy-mouthed way or have somebody like me because I'm funny. Because sometimes I'm funny and sometimes I'm not. I get it. It's okay. But that's not what changes people's lives. What changes people's lives is God's kingdom in operation. So when, it, when we say, Lord, thy kingdom come, I want that to be completely changed in every one of your lives right now. When you pray that prayer, when you hear that term, I want, when you hear, Lord, thy kingdom come, I want you to forever remember this moment and say, when you say thy kingdom come, it's not about what you might have thought. It's God, let your power, your kingdom, your glory come in me so that I can affect people's lives, so I can represent Jesus to the way, in the way that, the same way Jesus did. I want, when people look at me, they see Jesus. They don't see who I am. They see Jesus. They look past me, and they're affected by Jesus. That's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is joy. Man, you know, the kingdom of God, when, when, when Pentecost came, those guys were so happy, everybody thought they were drunk, right? Y'all remember that, right? Acts chapter 2. They were so full of joy, everybody thought they were drunk. In fact, they had to get up and make a press release and say, it's not as you suppose. It's 9 a.m. These men are not drunk as you suppose. They're just filled with the joy of the Lord. And 
they had to make that announcement. And 3,000 people got saved that day. A man that cursed and swore at a servant girl just 50 days earlier, Peter, that man who cursed and swore at a servant girl because she said, are you one of Jesus' disciples? And he let the old blue streak go and told her no. Now he's standing up in front of thousands proclaiming the risen Christ, filled with joy unexplainable and unspeakable. How did that happen? He got filled with the Holy Spirit. He got filled with the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. He got the joy of the Holy Spirit. And what happened? Everybody took notice. When he got the joy of the Holy Spirit, you know what? He lost his dignity. So sometimes, like tonight, I'm sure somebody out there or maybe somebody listening, they're thinking, oh, I thought he was smarter than that. He sounds like a raven lunatic. Well, congratulations. Good. I'm glad you think that. That may why my reputation's gone forever. Good. I am a maniac when it comes to the kingdom of God. I want the kingdom of God in me. My reputation, your reputation, means nothing. What is important is the reputation of, the, of Jesus and that we represent him in a way that is reality, that's a kingdom reality, that's not just something that, that we dream about someday, pie in the sky, it's here and now. Because, you know, pie in the sky is okay to dream about. For instance, I know I'm over time, you're going to have to put up with it. Um, my mom died on, on December 26th, day after Christmas, my mom died. My mother um, prayed her whole life. My mom had a prayer list, and as my, she was 94, by the way, so at 90, at about 88, she started not being able to see real well, and then, so she got new glasses, and then finally she lost her eyesight about six months ago, but she had a prayer list, and on her prayer list, I am the youngest of nine children. We have a total of 103 children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. 103. Her prayer list was 118 people. She literally called out every one of our names before the Father every day of her life. She called out our names. You know what she said to me when I was about 50? She finally told me this. She said, you know, when I was pregnant for you, I asked for a preacher. I, I had nine children. You're my ninth one. He says, when you were in my tummy, I said, Jesus, would you make them a preacher? She said, it took me until I was about 30 before I saw it. But hey, till I was about 30 before I went into ministry. And I was a CPA before that. But she said, you know, I prayed and I asked Jesus. And I finally, 30 years later, I see the, I see the fruit of my prayer. And God answered my prayer. See, she prayed for us every day. 118 names got called out before the throne of the Father every single day because my mom prayed every single day. And it was just amazing. When she couldn't see anymore, she made my sister read them to her. Okay? She's literally made my sister read all the names to her so that our names because she couldn't read anymore. She was 94, and she couldn't read, and she couldn't talk anymore. And she said, you know, she, she'd point at the list. She wanted her to pray over that list every single day. 
I didn't always get along with my mom, but you know what? I have mad respect for that, for her and her relationship with God and her commitment to prayer. I'm sure that I'm alive today because she prayed, because I got in a lot of trouble and a lot of accidents in cars where I should have been dead, and I'm sure it's because mom was praying. I'm positive, okay? So I would say to you, with that as your inspiration, you don't have 118 people. Turn in your books. I'm going to end with this. I'm going to give you something to do. Because otherwise, I just get up here and work up a sweat and lose my voice, and you guys just stand there and look at me. I'm going to give you some homework. Here you go. Toward the end of the book, toward the end of the book, probably third or fourth page back, it says, personal prayer targets. You got your books? Personal prayer targets. I want you to find it. I'm going to hold on here. I'm going to keep you here until we're done. Page 15. Page 15. There you go. My personal prayer targets. So you put in there the, the people that you want to pray for. And you, I, would, I would also put in there some one-word things of what you want for them or how you're praying for them. I mean, right down to church, pastor, staff, others that I do church with, my life, my, pray for your employer, pray for your coworkers, your employees if you're the boss, teachers, professors if you're a student, pray for the president, God knows he needs it, national leaders, state leaders, city leaders, and those that, that are in your neighborhood. Pray for your neighbors. I mean, literally, pray for those that live next door to you. Because, you know, if you, if you pray for your neighbors, you can, you can have the experience that we had. I had a neighbor that drove me, drove me nuts for a while. He'd play ACDC at 11 o'clock at night in the summertime. We didn't have air conditioning, so I heard Highway to Hell all the time. Um, I didn't like him very much. Um, can you imagine? And he'd start his dirt bike up at 11.30. Ring, 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 ring. It's, I mean, dude, it's 11.30. My kids are sleeping. At least they were. You know? But I, I, I didn't go over there and yell at him. I didn't even go over and tell him he was a pain in the rear. I just uh, started going over there at other times and witnessing to him and just loving on him. And my wife was loving on his wife. And we did that for a number of years. And we eventually... Um, led them to the Lord, and they got baptized right up there in that, in that baptistry. And he stopped listening to ACDC and uh, stopped doing it at 11 o'clock at night. So if you have a neighbor that's, that's driving you buggy, you just need to pray for him, get him saved. That's, that's the deal. Don't yell at him. Just pray for him, get him saved. I did it. It took me about two years, but it worked. Okay? So pray for your neighbors. That's where that comes from. And then this is the fun part. Now, when, you, when you're praying for these things, turn over the page. You pray for those that need God, people that you know that, that need God very desperately. You start calling out their names and ask that Jesus, the Lord of the harvest, would send people across their path. Pray specifically that God would send Christians everywhere they go, they would bump into spirit-filled, joy-filled, wonderful, godly people who will show them the love of Jesus everywhere they go. That's what you pray. See, because you don't want just a bunch of people telling them that they're going to hell, because they already know that. You want people who are full of joy, full of the kingdom of God, and full of, full of love that can show them how much God loves them. And then, then the, my favorite part is coming up yet. 
And that is, when you do your prayer requests, you put a date that you made this prayer request over here, some specific prayer requests on the, on the page 18. You put a date next to it. And then when the prayer gets answered, you put the date of when the prayer got answered. And then when you have needs in the future, you reference back to this book and you say, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I prayed in January and wow, by March that was done. Or maybe it took five years or maybe it took two years. But the point is this. When you, when you go back and you have records and you, you can remember, man, I prayed, God answered. When you know what that does? It gives you confidence that God will answer again. And that's powerful. See, because the enemy's all around and, you know, there's so much stuff going on in our lives and there's so much bad news everywhere. We need to, to focus on, man, God answers prayers, man. He does. He answers prayers. He does. And as you document it, you, you're going to prove to yourself, okay, that God answers prayers. And we can use this to, to wage warfare when things are going on in our lives. You can remember and you can go back and say, yeah, I remember we had that issue and I thought that was such a big deal. But you know what? 30 days later, it was all taken care of. Man, I guess this is going to be all right. I got a feeling everything's going to be all right. All right? So awesome.